earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We're up to session 10 in our series, Oh, That Verse Means That. And we've been devoting considerable time to scrutinizing some well-known Bible passages, thinking they mean one thing when we first read them, yet we're discovering that in their context, they actually reveal something different. If you've missed any sessions or want to catch up, just go to faithtalk1360.com and search for local program podcasts, then scroll to a word from the word. Friends, if Peter in his first letter can stir his audience by reminding them of truths they already knew, then I won't feel bad repeating something I've been saying in this series. The Bible has a story to tell us, doesn't it? In fact, it's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But sadly, we preachers, teachers, and pastors, as well as Christians in general, tend to make, even force, or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. And whether we do this knowingly or unknowingly, I'll still say, shame on us. Well, in today's session 10, let's scour Proverbs 27:17, which at first glance appears to be a sentence unto itself, like many Proverbs are. The King James reads, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of a friend. Several other respected English translations distill this wording down to a shorter sentence, saying, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The lengthiest English rendition is found in the Amplified Bible, which went through several revisions. The earliest 1965 edition says, Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend to show rage or worthy purpose. Hmm, now that proposes an interesting point of view, doesn't it? This idea is carried over in the 1987 revision, but the 2015 revision, the current one, says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens and influences another through discussion. In the 2015 Amplified Study Bible, there's a commentary note that says, this may also be translated as applying to the will. In other words, let iron sharpen iron, and so let a person sharpen his friend. The idea is that people grow from interaction with one another. Well, friends, what gives here? Some questions and wonderings prompted me to title today's session, A Lesson in Ironing. But before we scour Proverbs 27.17, let's survey and hear out some other popular English translations of this single statement. The New King James says, Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The Christian Standard Bible says, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. 
The New Revised Standard Version says, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens the wits of another. The New Living Translation says, As iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. The Contemporary English Version says, Just as iron sharpens iron, friends sharpen the minds of each other. And finally, a newer translation, The Voice, says, In the same way that iron sharpens iron, a person sharpens the character of his friend. So, friends, let me repeat what I said a moment ago. What gives here? Well, I propose that rather than throwing up our hands in frustration and saying, I give up, we motivate ourselves to become the Berean investigators Paul compliments in Acts 17. In fact, friends, he called the Bereans noble-minded because they searched or examined the scriptures to test what Paul preached. And friends, this word searched is not a benign word. It includes the meanings of investigating, inquiring, or questioning, even vigorously judging and evaluating through careful study, also scrutinizing. In the ancient world, this term also had a forensic sense to examine by torture for the purpose of interrogating. So, when it comes to certain passages of Scripture, we must be willing to invest the time and effort to do the harder work of digging deeper or scouring the text to discover its true meaning, to invest a little self-torture, so to speak, in order to accurately assess the text. The New Testament calls this rightly dividing the word of truth, per 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, let me add a parenthetical statement here, friends. Because my question is, isn't God's word worth this effort? Worth this trouble? Second Peter chapter 1 reminds us that people moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So I'll ask two more probing questions. Doesn't the Holy Spirit, the author and inspirer of our Judeo-Christian scriptures, deserve this kind of respect? Aren't we disrespecting the Holy Spirit when we so cavalierly pronounce what a Bible passage means without doing any investigating? Friends, let's love digging deeper into our Bibles to get to the bottom of a verse or a portion of Scripture. Let's love searching out Scripture's meanings, even if it's just to satisfy a deeper curiosity. And let's love investigating the backstory of the Bible book we're studying. Regarding the book of Proverbs, one of the most intriguing, if not challenging, things about it is that it's a collection of moral sayings and counsels that much of the time stand alone as one or two sentences or very restricted portions. The Proverbs have been referred to as maxims, in other words, slogans, catchphrases, cliches. An example of a maxim would be, action speaks louder than words. Aside from maxims, there's pithy sayings. In other words, concise, forceful expressions. There's terse phrases. In other words, short, abrupt, or blunt statements. 
wise, witty sayings, and paradoxes. Since many of these proverbial advice statements stand alone, they're not always surrounded by a broader theme-related context that's obvious to help us understand what the author originally intended to communicate. And today's text, Proverbs 27:17, at first glance appears to stand alone, and it invites us to ask some provocative and probing questions like, what does iron sharpen iron mean anyway? What does so a man sharpens the countenance of a friend really mean? Robert D. Foster of the Navigator's Ministry once wrote that reading the book of Proverbs is like sucking on a lozenge. Sucking it rather than chewing it gives it plenty of time for the flavor to slowly sink in. Similarly, this massive book of 31 chapters hosting this collection of wise, witty, and moral counsels must be dissolved slowly. In addition, the book of Proverbs has often been described as the guidebook for relationships between people. Often the wise, upright, righteous, and godly individuals or people are either equated with someone or something or are contrasted with their opposites. Often in Proverbs, the righteous person or people are those who know and trust their God and mirror this by their just and loving behavior toward others, in line with divinely approved principles. And since Proverbs is in the section of Hebrew poetry and wisdom literature, it naturally challenges and drives us to apply divine wisdom in our daily lives. In other words, friends, we must learn to live out what we come to know. The benefit of the Proverbs is that they continually provide us with practical insights and guidelines we can apply and use daily. So, with this as a backdrop, it becomes interesting that the Hebrew grammatical construction of Proverbs 27.17 is such that it may be rendered alternatively as appealing to our wills. We can properly translate it, let iron sharpen iron, and so let a person sharpen a friend. Rather than no English translation we read earlier, composes this proverb this way. Friends, there's a huge truth here that can easily be glossed over. Since the Hebrew allows for this rendering, we must allow this proverb to speak to us in ways we may never have imagined or given it thought. But this rendering would be in total harmony with the underlying message of the book of Proverbs. Its intent is to be a guidebook for relationships between people. And friends, I must confess that in some 30 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen countless times that a local body of Christ is devastated by poorly navigated relationships. And sadly, the relationships that we so easily blow up become a black mark on our testimony to the world. I wonder if we realize what Judeo-Christianity actually came to offer the world. I know all the standard answers you'll give. Salvation, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, a Savior in Jesus Christ, reconciliation with God, yada, yada, yada. But really, all our answers actually fall under the umbrella of something much greater, relationship. None of the above answers would come true if we're not in a relationship with God. It's by coming into a relationship with God that these benefits are given to us. Secondly, a relationship with God must be expressed outwardly to others around us. 
The letter of 1 John is littered with relational statements that charge us to not be hypocrites. In 1 John 2, we read, The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in the darkness. The one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In 1 John 4, we read, We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was asked which commandment is the most important, he gave a double answer? He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he went on to say, The second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. In theological circles, this is called conflating. This fancy word just means to fuse or meld. Jesus took two Old Testament texts that were several books apart from each other and melded them together. One text is from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and the other from Leviticus 19:18. So, friends, our New Testament actually capitalizes on the down-to-earth teachings of the book of Proverbs. Well, now comes what I call one of the hard truths of Scripture. And I believe this is what Proverbs 27:17 is actually picturing. From the Hebrew construction that includes let in this proverb, at least one conclusion we must draw from it is this. We must willingly submit to the providence of God when he brings certain people into our lives. Ouch! Because these people have come into our lives to sharpen us. Oh no, Lord, not that person! And we seem to forget that we are in their lives to sharpen them. You see, friends, we have this mistaken notion that the sharpening process is always something good, pleasant, or beneficial. You know, a sharpened knife, sword, or blade of any kind will only help us and do its job better, and we'll reap the benefit of it functioning at its best. Somehow we've tucked away in the back of our minds and have forgotten Hebrews 4, 13, 12, and 13 that say, For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we conveniently leave out verse 13, which adds, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. You see, friends, it appears from Scripture that God's intent here is that we not become divisive, contentious, or rebellious, but rather that we allow ourselves to grow, learn, and let our character be developed or matured. And why I included the voice translation in the list I read in the beginning. Let's recap. In the same way that iron sharpens iron, a person sharpens the character of his friend. 
So, friends, we must let God work. And the hard truth we must swallow is that God will use other people to sharpen us. And at the same time, God will use us to sharpen other people. In the ancient world, the concept of iron sharpening iron implies at least two pieces of iron. One tool could not become sharper without the presence of the other. Left alone, both blades remain dull and quite useless. This simple one-sentence proverb illustrates an important biblical truth. God expects us to live and serve in a community of other Christ followers. You recall Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, don't you? Let us consider how to encourage or stir up one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking or abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's think of a common type of sharpening in the ancient world. Think of a blacksmith hammering on a sword or blade to sharpen it. Sharpening happens through striking, friction, and even with sparks flying. And so, friends, I think we've left out this important half of the equation when we deal with our relationships with others. For us to be sharpened, in other words, improve and develop, we must consider that this will often happen through a bit of friction and or sparks. But we mustn't cower from these things and think that true sharpening can happen without the occasional use of friction. You see, friends, the practical reality of iron tools sharpening each other infers that as friends we must persist and not shy away from critical, constructive criticism. Hmm. We must learn the art and science of bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep or preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, as Ephesians 4, 3, and 4 instruct us. How many of us have just given up, and instead of striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit, we, out of frustration, anger, or being misunderstood, blow up our relationships, and then ditch them and leave our church, never reconciling those relationships, leaving a trail of fractured friendships in our wake? What does this say to our testimony? In 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21 we Christ followers have been given the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, reconciling lost people back to God, back to a relationship with him. So the provocative question before us becomes, how can we effectively reconcile lost people to God when we can't even reconcile our own fractured relationships in the body of Christ? See the contradiction? I hope you can, friends. So the parallel spiritual truth to the practical use of sharpening tools begs us to ask the question, how does one person sharpen another? Well, interestingly, just several verses before verse 17, we find verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And the preceding verse, verse 5, says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Now let's go back to verses 1 and 2, where we find this opening statement. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. 
What kernel of truth here sets the stage for verse 17? Well, how about overconfidence and self-praise plus foolishness and jealousy as verses 3 and 4 add to the mix? You see, friends, true friendship demonstrates itself by showing inner love exists between both people. Open and honest communication characterizes a godly relationship with others in the community of Christ. We must guard a deceitful heart, as verse 6 exhorts us. We must grow to realize that one of our most prized possessions is faithful friends. And where there's true understanding, differences of personality and viewpoints actually benefit the community. Faithfulness to one another brings its own reward, as verse 17 implies. We love quoting 2 Timothy 3.16, especially the first half, don't we? All scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God. But how many of us are willing to submit to the second half and is profitable or beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully proficient, equipped for every good work. You see, friends, Second Timothy 3.16 is the New Testament definition and application of Proverbs 27.17. A friend who maintains a hard line of truth will act as the wetting stone for his friends, constantly calling them back to alignment with God. A true and faithful friend pulls you out of harm's way, even when you're tempted to take just a quick look. A faithful and true friend offers godly counsel when you have a decision to make. A good and faithful friend holds you accountable to your previous oaths and commitments. A good and faithful friend sticks with you when you're struggling not to reprimand you, but to lift you to the place of repentance and forgiveness. A true and faithful friend challenges you to think deeper and act wiser. Everyone needs a friend with sharpening qualities. One commentator adds this insight. There is a mental sharpness that comes from being around good people, and a meeting of the minds can help people see their ideas with new clarity, refine them, and shape them into brilliant insights. This requires partners or friends who can challenge each other and stimulate thought. People who focus on the idea without involving their egos in the discussion. People who know how to attack the thought and not the thinker. Two friends who bring their ideas together can help each other become sharper. Perhaps this was the guiding force that led the translators of the NRSV to translate Proverbs 27.17, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens the wits of another. Another commentator remarked, Genuine friends in honest discussion whet the skill and wisdom of each other. We can never be so wise we do not need to learn in dialogue with others of opposing viewpoints. Richard Foster, well-known Quaker, once wrote, The moment we stop being teachable is the moment we become spiritually dangerous. Well, friends, let's wrap up today's session with some key applications we can take with us, handles we can grab onto. Here's some interesting questions to get the ball rolling. Does our interaction with Jesus sharpen us? 
Are we challenged, confronted, rescued, and questioned by Jesus? Is Jesus the kind of friend that calls us back, straightens us out, and pulls us along, gives us a push, offers sound advice, and yet holds our hand? What good is a friend who never offers us any resistance to our tendency towards self-deluding egoism? Perhaps we should reread the Gospels to get a more accurate picture of Jesus. He was a man who sharpened others. Jesus paints a picture of himself as being a true friend. And why not ask some questions about our Christian friends? Are we willing to be sharpened by them? Are we willing to expend the energy to sharpen them as well? Iron out our differences? Are we mature enough to put our egos aside and sharpen for the good the perceptions and abilities of those we work alongside in ministry? Are we heeding Galatians 5:13 through 15 through love make it your habit to serve one another for the whole law is summarized in a single statement you must love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another be careful you are not destroyed by each other well i think we need a lesson in ironing amen amen well friends we're nearing the end of today's program Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me and share your feedback. And friends, the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com under local program podcasts. And please keep in mind that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program, so please consider financially helping to keep A Word from the Word on the air with your kind support during these challenging financial times. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. 